Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Do you have a phone? Do you use technology? Do you have, if so, a mission statement or a rule book for yourself with how you'll use that technology or your social media profiles? Companies have them, guidelines, rules. But what about our personal accounts? Is there any accountability, especially with technology? Are we just designed to keep consuming and using these without a plan? Well, I'm going to give you hacks to better use your technology and enjoy other parts of your life and not be consumed by them. Also, we'll dive into healthy eating habits, five hacks for healthy eating and taking your questions on everything from fertility, gender issues. So the number is 1-888-914-9149. Giving you a Catholic take today here on Trending. What's trending in your life? Joining me now is Mark Brumley. He's the president of Ignatius Press, known for the many books published by Ignatius Press. You can find them at ignatius.com. We'll post links on social media as well as in the podcast notes. And I want to dive today into the topic of the challenges we face to read and study in a culture that doesn't read and is utterly distracted. Reading has gone down. If any reading occurs today, it's usually for fun or let's be truthful. It has to do with the constant news articles of the crises of the day as we pop from headline to headline. So to talk about reinvigorating reading and philosophical inquiry and theological study in our lives is Mark Brumley. Mark, welcome to Trending. Hey, happy to be with you. I want to unpack the importance of these pillars of reading and philosophical inquiry for shaping us and teaching us. This is a part of our Catholic tradition, which is why you there at Ignatius Press present phenomenal books diving into theology, philosophy, psychology, and where all of this collides with our faith. And I'd like to hear your thoughts saying you have to be an avid reader. How does it shape you and us as a culture? And how does it teach us about ourselves? Well, uh, you mentioned uh, as you were coming into the beginning of your program, uh, habits for healthy eating or how to eat healthily. And that has to do with the nourishment of the body. Reading has to do with or should have to do with the nourishment of the soul. There's a reason why God inspired a book, Scripture, And there's a reason why the church has always talked about uh, finding uh, a way to shape our minds and having the mind of Christ, having the heart of Christ, and so on. The inner part of us uh, hungers for 
what is true and what is good and beautiful, just as the body hungers for food. And reading is an important, it's not the only way we satisfy or work to satisfy that hunger, but it's an important way to contribute to that uh, satisfa satisfaction of that hunger and, be, and really to become uh, a lifelong learner. And when you talk about everything, comparing this to food, exercise, many dimensions of the human person, that lifelong learning is a fundamental part of the tradition of Catholicism. I look to the many saints, even our saint today, St. John Chrysostom. If you want to know about yeah. his faith, his life, his journey, and the wisdom, why he's known as the golden tongue, uh, you have to read. I did a whole show a couple years ago on St. John Chrysostom and his writings to married people, and he actually has guidance for how to choose a spouse. And so many people are in a crisis of how do I pick a spouse today? And this is what I love about Ignatius Press. You're publishing the great works of the great breadth of a tradition in our church, modern voices, voices of old, making up the great Catholic tradition. So let's talk about the problem of thought today. Uh, thought <laughs> is very challenging. I think many people talk about how they feel and rather than how they think. I can't tell you how often I've been at an event and I've been asked a question that starts with, what do you feel about X, Y, and C? And I always say, it doesn't matter what I feel. This is what the church teaches, and this is what I think about what the church teaches. Uh, we fail at thinking and critical thinking. How does reading change that? Well, reading can change. It doesn't. It's not magic. There's no magic solutions to these things. Uh, but reading can help us shape our minds. First of all, let's let's not make it sound like the only purpose for reading is for learning or, or, or the kind of edification in, in that sense, self-improvement, that sort of thing. Perfectly legitimate to read for pleasure. Pleasure is an important component uh, for a life well-lived. Uh, so it's important to have uh, things that we read that we enjoy. You know, one of the great 20th century theologians, Hans Urs von Balthasar, who was certainly no um, amateur or uh, also ran when it came to reading substantial books and writing substantial books. Uh, he liked to read uh, for pleasure. And one of the things he liked to read for pleasure was Agatha Christie murder mysteries. I so, love it. Uh, I didn't know that we, about him. You know, we could do, we can do that too. And we should, but there should also be some time we set aside for serious reading because reading allows us to enlarge our understanding. It can serve as inspiration and motivation to live a better life. It can be informative, help us understand better who we are and our place in the world, especially if we do spiritual reading. We should do spiritual reading. Uh, I think we should read, we should reflect, and we should discuss. Uh, I Nothing wrong with reading by yourself, but it's a little bit like to, to use uh, the expression from the great Mortimer Adler, who wrote the wonderful book, How to Read a Book. <laughs> uh, solitary reading, he said, was a little bit like solitary drinking. So it's good to read, but it's better to read in conversation with someone else. Uh, it helps us to learn how other people read the thing that we're reading. And one of the ways we enlarge our understanding and become better thinkers is by encountering someone else who's read the same thing we've read but looks at it a little differently, takes a, takes a little different position or has a different understanding and have a conversation back and forth. Mm. I highly recommend reading the Bible, some portion of the Bible every day, preferably the da daily readings from, from Mass, 
but additional reading as well. Um, our friends at Ascension Press have the uh, Bible in a Year program with Father Michael Schmitz. Uh, and then our other friends, Ignatius Press, our friends at uh, the Augustine Institute actually have the Bible in a Year, a Bible arranged so that you can read it in a year. And I think that's a, it takes about 20 minutes to do the daily readings. I'd highly recommend that. One of my favorite resources on the Bible, too, in fact, someone was just asking me, you know, what recommendations do you have for Bible studies or independent biblical readings are the Ignatius Catholic Study Bibles that are published um, and edited by Scott Hahn. And it goes through, I think, have you guys completed all of the books of the Bible yet? Are you still working we your way there? We've done all the New Testament, most of the New Test Old Testament, some portion. We've got all the new, all, all the Old Testament written, the commentary and notes all been written, uh, but they're in the process of being ecclesiastically reviewed. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to Fantastic. submit it to dioceses and make sure that you know what's there is in conformity with the church's teaching. So there's still some books to be published, but all the writing's been done. Most all the New Testament and and uh, the better part of the Old Testament. And I love it, whether you want to walk through the Psalms and you're having a difficult time understanding specific words or phrases, understanding the historical context, the implied meaning right. of a passage, you can go through and do those word studies on each of these sections. I know I was emailing you earlier and you've seen my daughter loves Ignatius Press now as well with the little board books for kids. Yes. Um, I want to talk about fostering reading because we live okay. in a culture where it's become very difficult for people to uh, sustain um, long-term reading, longevity, completing a book other than something that's entertainment. And I'm so glad you mentioned the importance of entertainment to reading. Uh, how do you do this? What are the practical ways to make this happen? Well, for me, I have a dedicated amount of time. I you know, try to put in some time reading. Apart from my job, obviously I read manuscripts as a publisher. I read manuscripts as part of my job. But apart from that, I have some time. Years ago, I was asked by my pastor, you know, how do you find time to read? And I said, well, I commit myself to doing it. So rather than spending you know, two hours watching television, I do watch television from time to time, not opposed to, to uh, uh, watching television. But uh, I, I limit the amount of TV viewing I do, so I have more time to read. I usually have a, a place in my home where I went reading. And I do read in bed, but I, I don't recommend reading in bed for people who really want to read in a serious way. When you're reading for serious understanding, it's not good to read in bed. Usually sit at a table or in a, in a reasonably comfortable chair uh, and you know be attentive to what you're doing. But do it, do it every day or every other day. Commit to doing a certain amount of it. Um, and have a dedicated place. I recommend having, at least for some of your reading, uh, a partner, someone else who's reading what you're reading with you, so that you'd have some time during the course of the week to uh, discuss, you know, as I said before, to get a different person's take on it. Um, join a book club or start a reading group. We, we actually have two reading groups. We have a reading book a group uh, that's been around for about 25 years, my wife and I are part of, and, and the rule for the reading group is it has to be fiction because many of us read a lot of nonfiction in the course of our day. So we commit to do that, and we get together every other month, and we discuss the book that we've read. And I have another reading group that I'm involved with, and we meet once a month. And it's a C.S. Lewis reading group, and we're going through C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity. And we discuss it and debate it and, and try to have a, 
uh, enriching time from from reading uh, works of C.S. Lewis. So I encourage people to do that. That's a, a, a very practical way, and hold each other accountable uh, when you're reading a book, so that uh, when you know you say I'm going to read this chapter, you read that chapter, and your reading companion or companions uh, they do the same thing, and you, and you talk about it. Uh, I can give you a couple tips on how to read. First, you when you're reading a book, to ascertain what kind of book it is. And um, when you're reading a section, you pick out a good section, and you ask, what does the author say? What's he saying? What does he mean? What he says and what he means may not be the same thing. You, when you ask the question, what does he mean? You're trying to go a little deeper. And then you ask the question, is what the author says true or false or partly true and therefore also partly false? And then what difference does it make? That last question I have to underscore is an important question when you read, what difference does it make? What difference does it make if what the, the author says is true? What, does, what difference does it make for his overall uh, argument or presentation in the book? And what difference does it make to me? How is my life different for having read this if it's true? How is my life different for having read this if it's false? So, so some of the tips of reading, and of course, I recommend reading great books as well as uh, good books. You've got great books. You've got good books. You've got not so good books. Sometimes there's a value in reading those. Uh, but I think that the exercise of reading uh, well, reading the right things in the right way, uh, is part of the enrichment that goes into le living a decent human life. And for Catholics, it can be especially helpful when you're reading spiritual readings, spiritual writings, theological works. I love those tips. Diving into a critical thinking means of reading something. What does the author say? What does he mean? Is that what the author, is what the author says, true or false? And what difference does it make? It makes me think about how some people like to discuss movies. And yes. I always think this is a great idea. Yeah, I think that this movie conversation, the movie commentary has replaced book commentary. And I think some people yeah. might hear you, Mark, and myself, and I would say, okay, that kind of sounds nerdy. You belong to a book club. Or <laughs> you were saying right. you sit down when you read. I like to walk when I read. I'll oh, that's great, too. I do that. Too, but people people tell you in my neighborhood they see me going around either with manuscripts, walking in the neighborhood with manuscripts, or with books. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it reminds me of college. I would be up at four or five a.m. in the morning trying to get all my reading in for my theology courses, and I'd be pacing back and forth in my small apartment. That way, I wouldn't fall asleep, but I'd retain the information uh, okay. better. But I'm going to put you. I'm going to put you on the spot when you're doing your reading in college. You're doing theology reading. What what book did you like the best? Oh, Theology and Sanity was one of my favorites. Oh, that's Theology a great book, isn't it? Yes, yes. And, and what Love did you book. what did you take from that you found so beneficial? Uh, well, it's in part what led me to change to being a theology major and a new evangelization, uh, but the oh. dimension of walking in to the bridge between theology and philosophy and the reasonability mm -hmm. of our faith, it was very mind-opening for me. I would say it was the first real encounter I had with a, kind of the intellectualism of theology that challenged me in a way that I really liked. Wow. Well, you know what? That book helped convert me because when I was in high school, I had a good, I was a evangelical, I had a good friend uh, who was a Catholic, and I was always 
you know, touting C.S. Lewis, and I still love C.S. Lewis, but I was touting C.S. Lewis, and I, you know, I said to my friend, if the Catholic Church is so great, and this was said in complete ignorance, of course, if the Catholic Church is so great, where is the Catholic Church's C.S. Lewis? And my friend, cradle Catholic, mm. didn't know a lot, but his dad had been trying to get him to read Theology and Sanity. So he went over to the bookshelf and pulled the book off the shelf and said, here, and I said, Did you read the, have you read this book? He said, no, but my dad is always trying to get me to read it. And I thumbed through that book and I was amazed. And eventually that book by Frank Sheed became a major mm-hmm. uh, part in my becoming a Catholic because he does such a great job of explaining, helping you understand what do Catholics mean about the Trinity? What, why did Jesus die? And what difference does it make for me? And what's the church all about? And sacraments and heaven and hell and purgatory, all those things. Such a, does such a, uh, a lucid job of presenting that. Uh, mm. it, it hooked me on, on sheet yes. and eventually helped me become a Catholic. Yes. You know, it's interesting that we bring up this bookmark because it's a book that I find every time I mention it, someone in some way, this book has truly transformed (laughs) their life. Theology and Sanity by Frank Sheed, coincidentally published by Ignatius Press, or I'm assuming republished by Ignatius Press. Republished, right. So we'll recommend that book as the top of your reading list. And you're making me think this is a good recommendation for a friend who's working through hopefully the conversion of a loved one of theirs. Uh, But it's accessible. And that's what I like about Theology and Sanity. And what I'll recommend kind of as parting words as we're talking about reading, if something doesn't seem accessible to you, go to something that's a little lighter and build your way there. Don't give up if you read a theology book and or maybe you read Thomas Aquinas. And to this day, I have to be in the practice of reading Thomas Aquinas or in the mindset to dive in. There are certain you know, authors that appeal better to you than others. And I remember for the longest time, I had a hard time reading Pope Benedict. I couldn't mm-hmm. stand reading Pope Benedict. Just I had a tough time and that's okay. You, know, you kind of have to play around at times with reading. That's what makes it Absolutely. fun. Uh, But Mark, thank you so much for joining us and all that you do there at Ignatius Press to pick up books, especially Theology and Sanity. We'll post a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes. Check out Ignatius.com. That's I-G-N-A-T-I-U-S dot com. That should be a Catholic, uh, Catholic challenge. How do you spell Ignatius? We'll be right back here on Trending. Thank you for joining me. We'll talk about whether or not you have a phone or technology social media mission statement or rule book for how you're going to use it otherwise you just might be consumed and become the user that the technology companies want you to be so what's trending Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Do you have a phone? Do you have technology, social media? Have you ever asked yourself about what your mission statement is or what your rule book is for using technology? It's an interesting question and... A friend of mine recently asked me that a few months ago, saying, have you ever talked about a mission statement for personal social media use? And I thought, hmm, that's intriguing. I've never thought about that, but isn't it important? Businesses, companies have plans for how 
for how they're going to utilize social media. Uh, they'll have a codes of ethics, what is and is not acceptable in a particular conversation. Um, they'll have guiding principles. They'll have a purpose as to why they're using social media, a specific market strategy. They'll know what's worked for other people, what hasn't. Well, we shouldn't necessarily be dissecting it to the same degree that a business is to get the likes, to get the gains, although that is subconsciously what we're actually doing with social media, it does beg the question in general, what is my philosophy? What is my rule book for how I personally use phone technology, social media, or any digital content for that matter? And I think it's interesting because it makes us think of questions such as what does and doesn't go? Who do I and do I not follow? How much time do I spend on my technology or social media? Do I take days off from using it, from posting? Do I actually monitor and question what I post and tell myself, that's dumb, don't post it? Stop using the technology. I can think about in my own life, you know, social media was such a fundamental part of my coming into uh, kind of my high school years and college, I mean, everyone was always on Facebook when I was in college. If you didn't have a Facebook, you couldn't socialize or do anything on a college campus. You're completely out of the loop. Um, in high school, you know, everyone had a Facebook. Everyone, you know, I had the MySpace when MySpace was a thing. And over the years, I increasingly learned it's so easy to just hop right on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, Instagram, and just start documenting your own drama. I specifically remember this really ridiculous uh, Facebook post and tweet that I put out saying something like, oh my goodness, I've been up 20 hours. I still have to do X, Y, and Z. And then I have a four-hour drive home, like going on and on about all of the things I was doing that day. And I remember looking back on that post, saying, this was the biggest waste of time. I had so much to do that time. And I thought that this was a great distraction or a great way to tell the world about what I was up to. Even today, we're tempted to post the stupid pictures of our, of our food or document every Every detail of what we were doing. In fact, the perfect example of this is today I was uh, cooking with my 21 month old and we were making applesauce and she was just cracking me up how she was picking up the apples and she'd kind of start to put them into the bowl like I told her to and then she'd stop halfway and just gobble up, shove the little apple chunks into her mouth as we're making the applesauce and then she'll like spit half of one out into the pot and now everyone knows they really don't want to eat applesauce at my house and I thought it was so entertaining and so precious and at the same time, I thought, oh, how fun. I can tell people what we're up to and what I'm doing, you know, the real parts of my day. And then I thought, Tim, that's so dumb. Like, yes, that could be a cute and endearing photo if you want ideas for what to do with your toddler and how to incorporate them into cooking and the many things you have to do that they make you take longer. That would be a great post. But at the same time, it's ridiculous how often we post things on social media that just aren't necessary or aren't important, or are a waste of time, or are contributing to other people spending wasted time online. And all of these things are things we have to think about. There are moments where I'll be sitting here thinking like, how can I turn this into a social media post? And I'm thinking, I'm wasting time just thinking about putting this on social media. Go live life. Step away. And that brings me to that question. Do you have intended days off that you take off of social media? Not checking it for a whole day or two days or three days or a whole week. Imagine that. 
Do you ponder the types of people you follow? I'll tell you something that may offend people, and that's okay. I don't care and I shouldn't care if I offend people because of who I do and don't follow, but I actually don't follow most people on social media. That's including family, friends, sometimes close friends, and here's the reason why. Because social media can be an absolute distraction and time sucker. And the reality is, is that if it's preventing me from having real face-to-face relationships, if it's preventing me from my vocation and responsibilities, if it's making me tired, grumpy, angry, sad, depressed, anxious, jealous, uh, as if I maybe have FOMO, fear of missing out, or keeping up with the Joneses, whatever it might be, maybe I shouldn't follow this person. The reality is, is that I find the fewer people I follow, the better and more available I am for real conversations. So go through and follow next to everyone, unfollow next to everyone on your list. If you're going to follow special interest things, follow special interest things. I think I follow more things that would be the equivalent 20 years ago of reading a magazine, but we just we're cheap today. We don't pay for magazines, right? I mean, some of us do, or we'd love to, but in many ways, things such as Instagram function as a modern day magazine. So for me, you know, what are my special interests? Dairy-free, gluten-free, corn-free, soy-free, all of that eating, you know, in recipes of how the heck to eat that way and not starve, especially while you're pregnant. Uh, that brings up another topic, you know, pregnancy-related things. And for all of us, it's so neat because social media can become that niche of accessibility in interesting things. But at the same time, it can be the place where we become consumed and drawn in by the algorithms. Yesterday, here on Trending, Dr. Nicholas Carderis joined me. He's the author of the new book that just dropped today. I hope you pick it up. I told my husband last night, because I'm reading this book, he has to read it. You can't just talk about it. We're going to talk about it after you read it. And you can't just listen to the interview. You have to listen and pick up the book, Digital Madness, because it helps us to see that we are being consumed by our technology and it's impacting our bottom line. It's causing borderline personality disorder for some, and I'm not saying that's necessarily all of us, but you'd be surprised by how our technology and social media has crept into the way we do things. Someone's commenting now on my Instagram live because yes, I am on social media. It Fortunately and unfortunately, it is a tool that we need to use as a part of the evangelization, but how we use it is important. And Ari Beth just called, or Ari Beth just commented, she said, all I follow is Catholic and crochet things because that's what I'm interested in. But I think that's an interesting comment because a lot of people don't do things such as sew, crochet, play the piano, read a book because they're spending so much time on social media following things about crocheting or even following things about their Catholic faith while not actually taking the time to pull back and ponder their faith and live out their faith. Catholic content is excellent, but there is such a thing even as consuming too much Catholic content. So again, here are some of my hacks and rule books and think about this. Write it down. I'm big about pen and paper. You don't just have to put it on your phone. What does and doesn't go for you on social media? What's acceptable? 
For example, my husband has, if certain people post certain types of photos, doesn't matter how close in proximity they are to me, he unfollows them. Um, who are you following? Do you really need to follow this person? How much time are you going to spend? Uh, are you t- taking days off of social media? Uh, what is considered too much posting? Um, when do you tell yourself this is a stupid thing to post and it's a waste of time, even if it's cute or interesting to you or someone else and might even get the likes? So here are some hacks to help with technology technology and phone use. Uh, Hack number one, um, remove apps from your phone. Don't have social media on your phone. It's the thought. It's I don't have Facebook on my phone. Um, I only have Instagram on my phone and I'm limited to five minutes a day. And I have a team that works with me on my Instagram as well. I spend more time checking messages and responding to you uh, than I do actually you know, diving into like looking at content on Instagram. Um, set time limits. So in college, I started with this and now you can even do it on your phone where you actually have a time limit where you can't even access an app uh, during a certain part of the day or after a certain length of time of use. Lock your phone away. Literally lock your phone away. Put it in a drawer if that's not enough. Have something that's maybe a time safe. I'm not kidding. Lock your phone away. That's okay. Leave it in the car for the weekend. My husband actually makes fun of me because he was talking to his sister recently and apparently I was terrible about responding to a text message, which I am. And there's a balance and there's accountability for how you need to make sure you respond. But he was saying, yeah, you know, we left somewhere for the weekend. We had been gone a couple hours and Timory said, oh, do you know where my phone is? I didn't know where it was, if it was in the car, if it was at home. Uh, As long as someone had a phone, and of course, you know, we had accessibility to contact people uh, in case of emergency, great. But what happened to the idea of having a phone for the sake of an emergency rather than perpetual entertainment and a security blanket when we feel socially uncomfortable? So those are some things. So no apps on phones, time limits, lock your phone away. No phone zones. I mean this when I say no phone zones. Please, like for the sake of anyone who ever has to hold your phone, don't take your phone into the bathroom. People are literally having constipation issues from taking their phones to the bathroom. I'll just stop there, okay? Read a book. It's much better and it's easier to put down, at least usually. If you have to read something boring, fine. Uh, Don't walk and use your phone. One, just so you don't walk into traffic, but two, is that really like how we want to live our lives? I think about all the times we'll be in this beautiful nature, outdoors, see a beautiful scene and people are walking around looking at their phones, not looking at the scenery. One of the most profound moments I'll ever recall that really made me think about how I use my phone was right after Pope Francis was elected Pope and I was there the very first day when he was Pope in Rome and I was there for the first day he jumped out of his motor car and the poor Swiss guards were panicking because they hadn't had a Pope jump out the way he had before in recent history especially after all the dangers of Pope St. John Paul II and here he is he jumps out and he's walking around right near me and he comes up and he the Pope is literally two feet from me and he's reaching into the crowd where I'm standing and this woman has an iPad that's larger than her head and as the Pope's reaching down to bless her she's leaning backward trying to take a photo of the Pope rather than actually receiving his blessing. Guess what? His hand never made contact with her head, which is what he was trying to do to bless her. She never got to touch the Pope. And it just seems like such a weird thing. But in the reality of the moment, 
what's better? The picture of you leaning backward and it becoming probably a really awful picture because he's so close to you, but you also miss, I think, the presence of the blessing from the Pope. And so there are moments, again, no phone zones, bathrooms while walking. Sometimes when you're with people, take one photo. It's okay if it's not perfect. And the reality is, is a lot of the vacation photos that people take, you really don't look back on many of them. All the great scenery photos, snap a couple here and there for memory, but don't become obsessive about it. One thing I love on my phone is airplane mode. That's right. Airplane mode, completely inaccessible. Why do I say airplane mode and not turning my phone actually off? Because I am a slave to the alarms on my phone. So I use them, um, unfortunately, when I still need them. But hey, you can buy an alarm clock if that's still too much temptation. So we actually don't use our phones in the bedroom. We absolutely do not use the phones on the bed. Um, The only way we have phones in our rooms are if they're on airplane mode. I try to keep my phone in airplane mode basically between 8 p.m.-ish and 9 a.m., practically, um, so that I'm just not using it. Uh, And also, do not disturb is great because you receive less notifications, which brings me to my last hack for decreasing phone use for all of us. Notifications, turn them off. You don't need social media notifications. You don't need apps running in the background. You don't even need previews of your messages. You don't need mail notifications. You don't need the beeps. You don't need the symbols on your phone. Get rid of all of it. If an app says you have 20 unopened, or let's be realistic, 2,000 unopened emails. Yep. 2,000 unopened emails. Maybe that's a good sign that you should remove that little symbol of 2,000 because that just might be stressing you out more than you realize. I think I have seven unlistened to voicemails right now. Uh, Just those symbols can be so stressful. Decrease them. Only have what is necessary. And trust me when I say email numbers do not need to be there. Okay. So, Think about those personal mission statements and guidelines for social media. But before I wrap up, just a brief comment for kids. Kids don't need social media. We've talked about it here. We've had all the social scientists and experts on it from uh, ScreenStrong.com expert Melanie Hempe to Dr. Nicholas Carderis, who works in everything from teaching neuropsychology to working with people with screen addiction. We've had Dr. Saxon. Uh, great resources to talk about this, but the bottom line is a lot of the research points to the importance of not exposing your kids to frequent or any regular use of screens until after the age of two, and that it's a total myth, the idea that that kids can have half an hour a day of screen time and be fine. Actually, studies show that half an hour a day and more isn't doing kids any good. And so it's not a matter of saying, okay, 15 minutes or half an hour. It's just not a matter of not focusing on the screens. Uh, Gab phone is a great resource. If you want your kid to have the security of a phone and the accessibility to call, talk, text only, the Gab phone. We'll have to post a link on social media. Follow me at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And again, no social media. Your kid will survive without it. Your kid will, I promise. You're listening to Trending with Timmerie here on Relevant Radio. Okay, talking about hacks, we're talking about real life changes from reading today to mission statements and plans of action for how we use technology and social media. I'll be right back answering your questions and five acts for eating healthy to keep you happy. Today's show is sponsored by Colby Academy. With more than 40 years of experience in Catholic home education, Colby Academy offers a blend of classical Catholic curriculum and the latest education technology. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby.
So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Taking your questions. If you have a question, be happy to take it. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Or you can ask your question now live on Instagram. We are there and live. Even though we're talking about decreasing social media, um, go listen to the hacks I have for you, your family. Uh, check it out. The podcast is available at the end of the night, every night, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcasts. Okay, I want to talk about five hacks for eating healthy to keep us healthy. Um, you know my journey. I won't get into all the details. I have two autoimmune diseases that are in remission, praise the Lord, because of healthy eating habits, among other things. And eating is really difficult, really difficult. I have multiple food allergies. Praise the Lord. It's not as bad as it used to be, but I'm allergic to gluten, corn, soy, dairy, and wheat. And there are other things I just don't handle well. But It's like learning how to cook and how to eat all over again when you want to be healthy. But the bottom line is people are complaining of brain fog, unnecessary weight gain, uncontrollable weight gain, anxiety, and a lot of it can be induced by food. Everyone today seems to have some form of a gluten intolerance, some sort of food sensitivity, a dairy issue, and let's really look at this and recognize the reality. Most of us struggle with how much sugar we eat, but you don't really know where to start to start making some changes. So here are what I think, five things I would recommend to start making some changes. We'll post this list on social media as well. I know Patrick's going to be amazing and get this posted. Um, But number one, the thing that first started to wake me up to the importance of eating healthy years ago was to start reading labels and choose foods that have fewer ingredients and readable ingredients. Your jaw might drop if you've never done this before, and kudos to those who do, when you start reading labels and you realize it's exhausting just making it through the whole label, and you actually don't know what you're eating, and you can't even pronounce half the things that are there. If you don't know what it is, it's a good sign you probably shouldn't eat it. And if there are more than five to ten ingredients, a lot of the time, it's another sign that you probably shouldn't eat it, depending on what they are. So that's number one. Read labels. It'll change your perspective and start to create some food awareness. Number two, don't eat things with sugar, corn syrup, or for me, I try not to eat anything above 10 grams of sugar if it's a processed food. More so around six grams of sugar for me because I'm a little less tolerant of sugar, actually a lot less tolerant, very easily get grumpy, mean, maybe I'll just say mean when I have too much sugar, headachey, bloated, all of that. So don't eat things with sugar, corn syrup, or above 10 grams of sugar if it's a processed food. That's actually harder than you think, Uh, but that'll help you to start to wean things out. Um, Number three, And for me, this has been forced, but for many people, this is a part of what they start to discover how we each need to eat individually. Some people can handle more carbs than others. Some people need more fat and protein than others. Everyone's different. Some people might have a food allergy or others might have a sensitivity. So for me, I'm forced to not eat, as I mentioned, my allergens, gluten, corn, soy, dairy, and peanuts. Uh, Because I'm forced to. I'm literally allergic to them. But 
For many people, these are all inflammatory foods or some of them more so than others. This is why there are a lot of great diets out there such as the Whole30 and Paleo that help you to eliminate and often rebuild some of these foods to figure out what you're sensitive to. I can tell you for women in particular, the research shows that it usually takes about three months of eating without a particular food to see how your body resets without it. It is fascinating, especially how, how our bodies work cyclically and how we see those changes. And we know today many people are struggling, particularly women with hormone issues, our endocrine systems being completely disrupted, fertility being impacted. And so dairy, gluten, soy, corn, all of those actually have a huge impact. And by the way, peanuts are a leading cause of prostate cancer. So Watch out for those prostates, gentlemen. Okay, so when you do eat dairy, though, if you can tolerate it, the research is very clear. Part of the problem with dairy is that we're not eating, drinking, pasture-raised, and at times the need for raw uh, milk and dairy that's better processed. That's why things such as Kerrygold butter and others are uh, better utilized. I had friends who, you know, thought nothing of any organic eating, thought a lot of my food allergies were silly and his family grew up on a dairy farm and they had raw dairy they had clean grass raised grass finished dairy and it wasn't until one day when one of them went away to college that all of a sudden they started having all of these health issues and they discovered it was because they were no longer drinking and eating consuming healthy dairy products and it caused all these inflammatory issues led to autoimmune disease and it was really interesting to see how food was the catalyst, the cause, and that with you changing that dairy exposure, it completely changed the perspective of how his health was being handled. Uh, another interesting thing to talk about, sprouted things versus non-sprouted, soaking nuts like our ancestors used to do, so soaking legumes or whatever it might be, even soaking grains, uh, that actually is easier for us to digest. And so those are just some things. So again, in that forced area for me, but what I recommend for everyone, cutting out that gluten, dairy, soy, corn, and peanuts. Okay, number four, and if in case you're not with us, I'll summarize them. Number four, drink water. As the studies show, you're supposed to drink at least half your weight in ounces. So whatever you weigh, cut it in half, and that's the number of ounces you need to drink. I love to have a specific container that I fill up because I'm home all day usually, and I just fill that up twice a day, and that container I know is all my water. Uh, maybe you just need to do a whole container. For some people, especially you know, a lot of men, usually right around a gallon is where you need to be, but hey, it's a benefit. The more weight you lose eating this way, the less water you have to drink. Isn't that a win? <laughs> it's one way to think about it because water can become work, and and a hack I shared on Instagram earlier on Instagram Live, I was telling people that to get your water consumption in, if you're having a hard time, put a straw in your water and just absentmindedly drink your water sipping the straw while you're sitting, talking, working, whatever it might be. Number five, you need to eat vegetables for every meal or at least two of your meals. How do you pick vegetables? Don't just choose what you like. Try to go for a variance of color. Uh, you need the fiber. Larger quantities of vegetables are going to help if you're decreasing uh, various unhealthy carbs or processed foods. Um, and just like a couple quick examples of foods to eat. So I usually eat eggs with vegetables every morning, some sort of sauteed vegetables. The broiler is my best friend with vegetables. 
kale with a little bit of avocado oil or butter if you can have it, uh, salt and pepper, and just toss it up. It's done in a couple minutes. Be careful, it can burn easily. And then most of the other meals pretty much are just made up of meat and vegetable, meat and meat and a salad, whatever it might be, and then fruit for desserts are a good transition. And you can have dessert with every meal if that's the case. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Okay, if you want any other food hacks, I've been there and done that with food and trying to figure out how to eat or even recipe ideas, so let me know. And I know I still owe some recommendations for cookbook ideas. I keep saying I'll post that on social media. I will. I'm putting it on my to-do list to do this week. I've been thinking about it the last couple days. But a number of questions have come in and... I want to address them. We'll start with Olde on Facebook. She said, hey, Tim, I need quick advice for my 13-year-old. She said, my kid had an injury and I went to pick up the work package for him. There was a book in that work package called I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. She said, I think... This is about a young lady who's really um, kind of sexually promiscuous or has very sexual preferences. She said, please advise on how to handle a situation with school. And I don't think that these are appropriate materials for my son. By the way, son's 13. She said, I'm a single mom. Thank you for all you do. Okay, great question. So here's a little hack. Not everything will always be there, but Focus on the Family actually has a website called Plugged In. I'll post a link to it on social media. And this book, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, is actually on that review. They have TV, movies, um, book, game reviews. And just a quick glance at the website. This is really interesting. I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter is a book that's being read at the school by this boy who's 13 years old. Well, quick review, looking at the Focus on the Family Plugged In website, pluggedin.com. Uh, this think just listen to this. Here's your kid reading this book. You have no idea what the content is or is not in it, but it's filling the kid with ideas such as a story about centering around a girl who feels suffocated by her parents and has smothering parents, about a parent who has old-fashioned ways with regard to religion. It's critical of teenage virginity. It talks about abortion in a positive or encouraging sense. Homosexuality, even talking about the homosexuality of a friend. Um, And cats. Yes, cats. Why do we have to talk about gay cats now? Someone please explain that to me. And even exposes and discusses the topic of rape as well. Well, 13-year-old may or may not be ready for that topic, and it should be introduced by a parent. So there are a lot of topics that push kid rebellion, the idea that parents are old-fashioned, and criticizes teenage virginity, abortion, homosexuality. Uh, So I want to encourage you to check out that resource, PluggedIn.com, a great resource for parents. It's put together by Focus on the Family and will help you to review uh, some content that your kids are, are exposed to. So number one, the power of knowledge and check and vet everything your kid is recommended to read and study and watch beforehand and you approve whether or not they do. But second, keep that power and take it to the school. This is not an age-appropriate book. Blow the whistle. Let other parents know. These parents, many parents across the nation are making massive changes in their schools. And if a school cannot respect that change and that authority of you as a parent, it's time to go somewhere else. And I admire the many parents who are making those difficult choices 
across the nation. I have been hearing from you day in and day out, especially the last two years. And I know with the new school year, many people are already having to reevaluate. There's been a mass exodus from the public school system for a reason. There's been a huge increase in private school, as well as, believe it or not, homeschooling. I have a lot of friends who said they'd never homeschool their kids who are homeschooling their kids now. Um, So just some thoughts. Let's see, I have another question um, that came in from Amy, and I don't have all the details right in front of me, but as I remember uh, correctly here, Amy wrote me a message about her daughter uh, who is struggling with gender dysphoria. And I was just talking to her earlier today, and she had her daughter, sudden, sudden onset of gender dysphoria, and she said, you know, there's been a divorce between her and her spouse, there's been difficulty connecting with her daughter, and she's trying to to work through this crisis of gender ideology. So first and foremost, Amy, I'm praying for you, and I know everyone now is praying as well for you. And the Feast Day of Our Lady of Sorrows is coming up, especially as mothers uh, and fathers. Anyone, turn to Our Lady for her intercession. Uh, she saw tremendous, tremendous pain and suffering in her life, and yet she remained faithful and she intercedes for us now. It's so important that we turn to her intercession, um, but stay fervent in prayer and some great resources. I'll post all of these links on social media as well as in the podcast notes, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Um, but I highly recommend all the episodes with Michael Gasparo. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist who's an expert in responding to the gender crisis today. Uh, and he and I will often talk about navigating some of these difficult situations and empowering parents. I'm hearing from parents ev- nearly every single day who, like you, Amy, and others, uh, are suddenly experiencing the sudden onset of gender dysphoria in their kid. You know it's not the actual problem, that there are other contributing causes. Uh, Some other resources, reintegrativetherapy.com. Michael Gaspero has some great resources as well if you listen to episodes of him here on Trending. Abigail Schreer's book, Irreversible Damage, talks about this gender craze and crisis among girls and some of what's contributing to it and how to work on it. And there's also a book called Girls on the Edge um, by Dr. Sachs, who's also a regular guest here talking about the crisis young girls are facing and also how that's leading to some of the gender crisis. So great question. Okay, one more question I have time for right now. Elizabeth on Facebook is asking, I'm listening now and have a question about IVF. My husband and I just married, first marriage, no kids, both Catholic. So she went to a fertility clinic and she was told right away and recommended to check out in vitro fertilization. As you know, IVF is against the church's teaching. She's asking for resources on NAPRO technology that honors and respects the Catholic faith as well as the natural processes of the body and is realistic about pregnancy is a little later in life, but also treating underlying health issues to achieve that it's possible. I said, I'm in St. Louis. Do you have recommendations? Yes. I actually did a whole episode a couple weeks ago with NAPRO Dr. Susan Caldwell, and it's titled How to Get Pregnant. So I'm posting a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes. Listen to that episode. It's a great starting place and it will help point you in the direction of doctors and physicians and people to work with to honor your body and your faith in conceiving children. And if you know someone who's struggling, it's a great resource. 